Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Nicole Morris from Lucy Pearls coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the national brand ambassador for a craft syrup company. She's also consulted on the cocktail menus for a number of successful Houston bars and restaurants. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? Freaking awesome. Thanks for having me. What a, uh, what a opening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you're a very accomplished uh, individual. Oh, thanks. All right. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. We had our Culture Map Tastemaker Awards ceremony last week. Let me just very briefly go through the winners. Restaurant of the Year and Rising Star Chef of the Year went to Ben Chawan Painter from Street to Kitchen. Chef of the Year is Aaron Bludorn. Best New Restaurant, D'Alba Craft Kitchen and Cocktails. Neighborhood Restaurant of the Year, Click Virtual Food Hall. Bar of the Year, Tongue Cut Sparrow. Bartender of the Year, Sarah Crowell of Better Luck Tomorrow. Pastry Chef of the Year, Christina Ah of Blacksmith. Best Pop-Up Startup, Luis Mercado and Paolo Justo of Neo. Wine Program of the Year, Tiny Champions. Linda, I say all that to say to you, you were one of our judges of former winners and industry experts that helped pick the winners in all the categories except Best New Restaurant. So what do you think? Are you happy with the results? How did we do? I mean, there was, I know that there was a lot of some people that were kind of a little upset. I think that there was a lot of darlings on this uh, uh, set of winners, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy to see, uh, you know, a lot of little guys that have worked really hard to get to where they are. Street to Kitchen is, I mean, I've had omakase there. And I mean, the first time I ever went to go see them, I was I think I picked up a to-go order and I was, I think I called you the next day and I was like, I don't get it. I don't like it. You know, like, da, 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 da. and then I was like, all right, calm your titties, you know, like, you know, just go and enjoy it. And and I've gone several times and it's always exceptional. You know, there, there's a lot to be said about, um, it's not just food and it's not just drinks. It's really about the hospitality that some of these people have given you know, um, Aaron Bluedorn has an incredible set of human beings on, on his staff. Um, I don't know. I mean, click virtual, like they don't even have a, uh, they don't you even can't eat a, there. Doesn't yeah, have a you can't even eat there. But I mean, I was having lunch with someone today and someone was like, I just love how thoughtful their packaging is. And the food is so good, you know? So I think that there's so many ways to be hospitable to people. And a lot of these industry professionals, you know, have had to fight for several years to keep their businesses open and to see people crush in these categories. Fucking stoked. Yeah. Just to follow up on a couple of those thoughts. I mean, street to kitchen, there is something so Houston that feels just so appropriate to me about saying that this tiny little restaurant that shares a building with a gas station convenience store, you know, on the railroad tracks, deep in the East end is the restaurant of the year. Like the, the, the restaurant that most embodies our city right now. And, you know, you mentioned that the food is excellent, you know, chef G Benchawan, but, but known, known as chef G to, to friends and regulars does a great job. 
you know, she has this great, you know, she grew up in Thailand. She, she knows all her family recipes. She came to Houston. She worked at like Salt Air and Theodore Rex. So she got some techniques. She made some connections with farmers and, and the food is just consistently excellent. And then her husband, Graham, runs the front of the house and he just couldn't be more accommodating to people and, and more welcoming. And, you know, it's, they have a, they have a little tiny wine list. They have a, they, you know, they have, um, you can BYOB, but you know, I, I just think it's so great. If you forget to BYOB, well, the, the gas station next door, like in a little bit of uh, synergy has started stocking Thai beer. So you can just walk next door and buy a six pack. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. I, I think that's so great. And then the, the only other one I just to follow up on your comments is Sarah Crowell, just because she's been doing such a great job across so many different bars and restaurants for so long, you know, from Cultivare to Penny Quarter to uh, Rosie Cannonball, you know, this is, um, it's not that there was ever a bad choice for bartender of the year in the years that she didn't win, but I'm just so excited that like, finally we got enough votes and she, she broke through. Cause I just, I just think she really, she's so kind. She's so hospitable. Her drinks are delicious. They're always pretty. Uh, this was well-deserved. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a little of an upset. I mean, honestly, to see that tongue cut won, and it's, a, it's a different space now. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a, you know, tear, tear emoji, right? Because this is more like a, you know, like an obituary than like a celebration because Tongue Cut, you know, the Bobby announced, Bobby Hugel announced on Instagram that Tongue Cut is done in its yeah. space. They're going to use it for refuge and for events, but, you know, the future of Tongue Cut is uncertain. Maybe they'll open it somewhere else. Maybe they won't. We don't know. Yeah. But yeah. It kind of, it kind of had its moment in the sun and, and now it's been retired. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hardy doesn't even work for them anymore. I mean, uh, Mate works for them and he's, he's always. Linda. Linda. Uh Oh, Hi there. So it appears as though we're having some uh, technical difficulties. Hmm. In the middle of a fantastic rant. I know you're in the middle of an epic rant. We lost you. Can you can you reconnect? I'm trying to reconnect right now. We're just having a little uh, minor technical glitch. No big deal. We'll get everything fixed up in a minute. I'm back. Okay. Can't stop me now, internet. Take two, Mark. You were you were talking about Tunkett's Barrow. You said Tom Hardy left. You said Maite is still there, and that's when we lost you. Yeah, I think. I mean, I I think honestly, it was a little bittersweet to see um, Tunkett finally get some great recognition when its original partners and openers and are no longer even. You know, working with the company. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Tom Hardy works for Source Cocktails, doing greater, bigger, more badass things. And Mate's still part of the of the the fam always. But um, I right, think and I, I, who opened there is is now at a, uh, or who was there for a long time is now at Anvil. So it's not like completely. But I mean, my my thought about Tongue Cut is that it kind of paved the way for all of these new 
upscale cocktail lounges, right? I'm thinking about the bar at La Column d'Or or the bar at March or even uh, Bandista at the Four Seasons. It's like, you know, Tunka kind of proved that there was an audience for a more premium cocktail experience and that people would pay for the service touches and the glassware and, and, and all that stuff. And so, yeah, yeah. And, it gets and a lot of credit. Of them, I think. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, but almost all of those professionals all come from the Alba Bobby house. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. That That's, that's kind of my point, I guess, is that, you know, Alex yeah. DeGranza, Jonathan Jones, you know, spent their time with, with the Bobby system working, working uh, in Alex's cases at Tongue Cut. And then, you know, now they're doing other projects and, and we're, we as people who love cocktails and, and beautiful spaces are the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, whenever we, we, we see these spaces open up, we always get to see a new era of cocktails, a new way of, of doing things. I mean, honestly, I'm really excited to see the MMH group in the next couple of years flourish in Houston. So yeah, I mean, excited to see what, what, what else is coming from different groups. Well, that, that leads me directly into topic number two, speaking of other groups, Austin bar nickel city announced that they are opening a Houston location in Edo at 2910 McKinney street, like the Fort Worth location. It will have a bar within a bar. Um, that bar in Fort Worth is agave focused. This bar will be rum focused. Linda, I know you've been to Nickel City and I know you're friendly with Travis Tober, who is one of the owners, founders of Nickel City. So let me just throw it to you. I mean, what should we as Houstonians know about Nickel City and how big a deal is this that it's coming to Houston? It's, I mean, honestly, like Nickel City in the, in the bar and cocktail community, it's like a darling. You can get cheesy tots, hot dogs, frozen Irish coffees, the Corpse Survivor, a French 75 on tap. You know, the ambiance is fun. There's always little pony beers, you know, available, ready to crush with whatever spirit you decide to shoot, whether it be OGD or, you know, or Deep Eddie vodka. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's for everyone. But... You know, Houstonians are really funny about newcomers coming to town. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, I know that I'll probably be a regular there, and I know that a lot of our friends are going to be regulars there. But, you know, it's just what I've been hearing. The word on the street is everyone going to love Nickel City the way that we love Nickel City as industry professionals. We remember we are the... I am the 5%, you know, I am the, the, the 10% of a customer, you know what I mean? Are they going to love a nice, dark, cool dive bar that does fun cocktails? I don't know. I mean, I think that they, I think that they might, you know, there are other, obviously, you know, there are sort of bigger Austin bar groups that have had some success here, right? Obviously, you know, Dogwood comes to mind or uh, 77 Degrees, you know, places like that. I, I do think, yeah. you know, not to, not to sort of use our, use of my own word again, but, you know, I think people, especially in the, the age of social media, diners who are not part of the restaurant industry follow yeah. their favorite chefs and bartenders on Instagram and they're looking for ideas. And if, you know, they see a critical mass of people 
going to a place, then they're going to want to check it out. And right. Like the most, certainly that happened with Nancy's hustle in the very beginning. Uh, it's happening with cafe Louie right now. And I think it will happen with nickel city because as you said, there's so much respect for what they've created in Austin that the, the industry crowd is going to go there to support. And that will inevitably draw Houstonians that are not in the industry to support it. As well. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's funny, like I, I've been stoked about it, you know, about them coming, them coming to town and like seeing that, that kind of like, you know, do a lot of, do a lot of work on the back end to make it look easy. You know, I, that's what I love so much about that concept is there's a lot of things that are frozen and there's a lot of things that are addressed, which I've always said for years, like make it look easy so that everyone else can have a good time. That's what I've, that's like my mantra, right? You know, in most of my hospice, most of my, you know, my, my latter hospitality years, right? But it was like, it was like a, a and I'm not going to say who it is, but a good friend of mine that's a bartender and was like, nobody cares about Nickel City. And I was like, you shut your dirty little poor mouth. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm like, I, it's going to be great. It's like, no, nobody cares about what you like, Linda. And I'm like, but I mean, you're, I guess you're right. You know? And I was just like, I guess you're right. It's like, yeah. And it's like out of no, it's, it's, it's in a nowhere part of the neighborhood. And I was just like, oh. it's like two blocks from tiny champions. I, I mean, it's I know. like, let's and not it's always pass. Right. No, I think it'll, I think it'll do just fine. I'm, I'm excited about it. And, and I'm glad to hear you say all those nice things about it. And I know that this person listens to the podcast, so I can't wait for you to freaking eat your words, sucker. <laughs> all right. Topic number three, Robert Del Grande has announced that he is changing roles. He will no longer be involved in day-to-day operations at the Annie Cafe and Turner's. Instead, he is going into a kind of semi-retirement. He will have a chef emeritus status and he'll continue to do some work with menu development and some staff training. But, you know, Robert Del Grande, who's been a constant presence in, in Cafe Annie and now the Annie Cafe uh, for basically 40 years is, is taking a step back. A, a well-deserved retirement for Robert Del Grande, who after all is the first Houston chef to have won a James Beard Award for Best Chef of Southwest. He is the pioneer of Southwestern cuisine, which in the 80s and 90s had the then radical notion that Texas ingredients and Mexican cooking techniques could be worthy of a fine dining restaurant. So we know him for dishes like coffee rubbed filet and crab tostadas and rabbit enchiladas. Linda, I, I know I'm talking, I'm almost talking like he died. He's not, he's not dead. He's just retiring. But I just wondered if you had a Robert Del Grande story to share, because I, I have a quick one. But I'll, I mean, I'll you of, course, of, course, of course I do. Uh, when, I, when we redid Nifas, uh, when, I did re, when I redid the cocktails at Nifas, he walked over and was like, I never thought it would be the day that, that a margarita shop would actually start using like cocktail ingredients. He's like, I'm really glad that you guys, you know, have paved the way for, for good cocktails. You know, he's like, I felt like I was always having to fight everybody about the price of, of good ingredients when I first came out and everyone gave me shit about my, my stuff. He's like, so kudos for fighting the good fight. And I was like, I, I mean, when he told me that I almost, 
I almost threw myself on the ground. I was like, <laughs> I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know? Well, like, he's, such a, he's such an icon and he's thoughtful and he's just so freaking nice, you know? Well, he, he has this unbelievably calm demeanor, like he's very sort of Zen master. And I remember yeah. going down to Galveston for the, you know, Landry's does this thing where they bring in a whole bunch of their chefs from all over the country for like a chopped style competition. And they had, they had invited some media and Robert Del Grande was one of the judges. And, and he was like, he was, he sort of analyzed each dish. He was like, Oh, you know, this team, you had, this component that was really great. And, and this team, you had this component that was really great, but man, if you guys had worked it together, you would have turned it up to 11. And that's like such a, like, yeah, I mean, of course, right. If they had worked together, it would have been even better, but you know, Robert doesn't care about the competition. He just wants the best, the best dish. And, and yeah. he's been on this podcast a couple of times and he, you know, he talks about, you know, basically we just try to get really good ingredients and not screw it up too much. And, and, that wasn't the that wasn't the philosophy, you know, in the eighties. Like it was like get the get the fanciest ingredients from all over the world, and then show off all the cool shit you can do to manipulate them. Right? That that he was in the vanguard of that aesthetic. That no, like just let the ingredients speak for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that the young bucks that are uh, that are that are on the up and up are, you know, do they even know who Robert Del Grande is? You know what I mean? So, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, no. Um, what, an, what an incredible, uh, what an incredible chef. Absolutely. All right, Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Linda, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Heights & Co. This is the new patio bar from Brian Doak, the owner of Savoie and Patton's. I had Brian on the show last week to kind of talk about the, the conception of Heights & Co. And, and why they decided to, to open it, you know, across the street from, from their existing restaurant. So let me just, let me just throw it to you. What, did you. what did you think about our experience at Heights & Co.? It was good. Um, it's a good, it's a great neighborhood patio bar. I think it's going to, I think it's going to do very well. Um, there isn't much on those couple of blocks that isn't already been there for a while. So I think sometimes people get a little too, try to get too fancy and in the, um, in, in height and it ends up biting them in the ass. And so doing something that's really like classic, easy easy to easy easy on the eyes easy to digest and to just to just be good at, at serving good food good drinks with a good ambiance i mean it's what the neighborhood needs no i i mean i agree with you i think it, it doesn't have like a fancy design it doesn't have like a particularly complex aesthetic it's just you know sturdy patio furniture under a pergola with a big screen showing Astros games and a menu of good food and good drinks. I mean, I, I was really impressed, you know, they're, they're not, 
they're not reinventing the wheel here, right? They're doing a ranch water. They're doing, you know, like a vodka lemonade. They're doing a spritz, gin and tonic, bourbon smash, fish house punch, you know, all the kind of classic stuff that everybody likes. You know, we had a couple, or I had a couple that I really liked. I know you had, I don't know if you want to talk about any of the specifics. And then, you know, that Eric Johnson, the chef at Savoie that did the, that did the food menu. I, I mean, you know, a big gooey, like drip down your, drip down your shirt kind of burger. Uh, spinach and artichoke dip and and that pork schnitzel. I mean, I was just so impressed by that. It was so crispy. It was juicy. You know, it comes with the spetzel. It's like a little, you just don't see a lot of German food around town. And I just thought like of all the crazy things to want to eat at a bar with a with a beer or a glass of wine, I, it, it really hit the spot for me. Yeah. Uh, spinach artichoke dip for the win. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I'm a sucker for like, I really am. I'm a sucker for classic Americana. I really am. Um, I don't want a whole bunch of like weird stuff on a menu. Like it really pisses me off more than anything else walking in. And it's like, we want to do a spin on blah, 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 blah. And it's just like tuna sitake on like tarot chips. And I'm just like, can I just get a spinach artichoke dip? You know? Right. Can I just get a Caesar salad or a steak frites or whatever? Yes. Like, yeah. that's what I'll, that's all I want. But like, where, where do we, I mean, honestly, like you and I go to a lot of places, but where do you, where do we, where do you see us on a, a once, once a week winning, you know, right? places that are easy, easy, like your mind and your, and your eyes like immediately your your mind digests it before it even comes to you you're like oh i know this uncomplicated done very well you know that's what you need you know i don't i don't want someone to educate me on what the fuck is on the menu i i I got this right you know and i don't i don't want to i don't want a, a 25 minute oh man i don't want another 25 minute understanding of the menu and how the menu works and you know, I had a fucking awesome chicken fried steak at BLT the other night. Guess what? Chicken fried steak, baby. Two types of gravy. Let's fucking party. That's what I want to be doing. If I'm going to be in the Heights with five or six people, I want something simple, you know? So um, work on your hospitality, boo-boo. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that to them. I'm just saying in general, like, People are, get too worried about what, what's, what's on the menu and what's the silverware and so on and so forth. And a lot of what we really want to do is like, hey, man, just, you know, give it to me straight. Good spinach artichoke up, schnitzel. I can digest that. That's great. My eyes, I don't have to complicate my life, you know. There's a lot of other complicated things that I don't want to have to worry about. Right. Especially not when I'm at a bar. Not when I'm, not when I'm at a bar hanging out with friends, drinking a glass of yeah. wine or a ranch water. Give me, give me a great yeah. burger. Give me a, give me a relaxed environment. Easy peasy. Yep. All right, Linda, I am going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. And I will be right back with Nicole Morris. I am joined this week by Nicole Morris. She is the owner of Lucy Pearls, a bakery at the 
host Houston Food Hall. Nicole, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. Thanks for doing this. I, I'm, I'm so glad that you reached out to me about coming on the show because I've been eating your cakes essentially since the, the food hall opened. You know, I think even that, that opening day with the, the ribbon cutting and the mayor and, and, and all of that, that I was looking around, I'd, I'd had a burger or whatever I'd had. And then I was looking for, for something sweet and I took a slice of cake home and, and I just, I was floored by how delicious it was. So let me just kind of start at the beginning. What, what sparked your interest in baking? Like, like when did you first start making cakes? We started uh, late 2018 and it, I kind of fell into it. Um, we are uh, members of a church where our best man actually passed away. And, and, and in the African-American community, the church gets together and they put things in place to help the family, whether it's part of the repast menu. And so I was instructed by my pastor to go buy uh, some cake for uh, the Kirk family. And I had been holding on to my mother's treasure box, which my mom passed in 2014, and she's collected recipes through the year. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll pull out the recipe box and I'll make something for the family. And uh, I made uh, the Betty Lou cake, the um, sherry strawberry, the German chocolate, and it was a hit. And some encouraging words of you should start a business. This is awesome. Um you really need to do something besides just kind of keep these to yourself coming out of retirement from the railroad. It wasn't really something that I really wanted to do right off. Um, so bounced the idea off of a couple of friends and the word, uh, or the, the conversation of, uh, public markets or, um, uh, go to a, a, a family market and sell the, the product at farmer's market. So, did that, um, paid the $35, put my booth up and I made little mini bunk cakes of those same cakes. And we sold out literally in 30 minutes. So it's like, okay, first time, you know, uh, rookie beginner's luck. Let's try it again. And, you know, we baked up a little bit more and, and in Texas, you have that cottage law so you can bake at home and take it to the farmer's market. And so, uh, became a big hit and within four or five times at the farmer's market, we had a pretty strong following where people were anticipating us being there and actually had started placing orders to pick up at the farmer's market. So my husband and I worked the farmer's market for, uh, for two years and just really got the name out just on a local level. Um, and I found that that was good for me. I like to look at numbers and run business and I like to learn different things. I don't have that um, uh, the, the skill of being considered a chef. I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't go to culinary school. So everything I've learned has been from other chefs, uh, watching different shows, trying different things, getting feedback from customers or what tastes good, what looks good. Um, and then, and making it work and then being able to scale it up to be able to sell it. That that's our story. Let, let me just back you up just a little bit. Cause you said they were your mother's recipes. Did Correct. you cook? Did you bake with her growing up? Did you did you know the techniques from? I did. From her? So so yes. Yeah. So uh, my grandmother and my great grandmother and my my aunt, my dear aunt, who I actually named the Betty Lou after. That's her recipe. Uh, I watched these women through the years 
do the pies during the special seasons, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I was able to capture that piece of it. But when you're a kid, you really don't really pay attention. So when you go to make it as an adult, something's missing. So I had to go back and figure out what that something was. Like the Betty Lou was written on the back of an envelope and it was not in a measuring. Um, right. A, a pinch cup. of this, a dash of that. Uh, yeah. So you had to figure that out. And it's like, okay, I've made a hundred of these and none of them taste like Aunt Betty's cake. What, what am I missing? So you have to figure that out. And we figured it out. And the cake that we have displayed in the window tastes like the cake my aunt made when I was a kid growing up. All right. Well, I, I have to ask, what was the, what did you figure out? What was missing from the, what did you have to get right that the envelope didn't tell you? Well, it was a couple of things. She used the pineapple juice in the batter. I never saw her do that. Um, and the, the measuring, because in, in, when she was baking it, it was her hand that was a scoop. So me thinking modern age, a cup or a half a cup or a quarter cup, you just had to find the balance of the white, the, the right uh, dry ingredients to the wet ingredients. And once I figured it out and then you kind of sweeten it as you go, do I put a little bit more sugar? Do I put a little bit more coconut just to get it just right? Do you whip it a little bit longer so it's a little bit more fluffier? So you play around with it. Like I said, we did. We went through about 100 iterations of that Betty Lou until we finally figured it out. Right. And I guess just just to sort of complete the, the circle, just tell people what the Betty Lou is. So the Betty Lou is a sour cream coconut with pineapple filling. So like very tropical. Very tropical. I explained to people it's it's similar to a pina colada in a cake. <laughs> All right. So you, you spent a couple of years at the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. You kind of build a following. How did you come to be involved with Post Houston? So I actually uh, was moonlighting um, for Dessert Gallery. Uh, went and traded some operational skills. I've got a background in operations and Sarah needed some help with streamlining and leaning out her operations. In exchange, she taught me some big scale baking business. And originally she was offered the spot at post and she declined it. She says she has always run a standalone operation um, and actually uh, made the suggestion that this would be my leap to, to get Lucy Pearl up and running. So uh, with some grace and some menu building, uh, Sarah helped me make the leap with, uh, with post Houston. You know, it's such an interesting mix of vendors, you know, locals out of towners. What, what about that space appealed to you specifically? You know, cause obviously, you know, a woman who had mentored you decided to pass, but, but you obviously said yes. So what, what was it that, that intrigued you? To me, it was like a big farmer's market. That's where we got our, you know, got our name out there and cut our teeth. Um, It felt like it would be a true melting pot for Houston uh, when they uh, told us who the uh, other vendors were going to be. That wasn't going to be any chains in there. Um, I felt that we could be uh, an attribute uh, to the menus that were, are there, you know, you've got golf Stroman, you've got soy Pinoy, you've got all these different melting pots. You've got uh, uh, chopping block. So, from every corner of the world. And then there's dessert. And I think we bring it home with the Southern style desserts. We're on the corner. You, you can't walk into post without passing Lucy Pearls. Um, it doesn't matter which way you come in. You've got to pass Lucy Pearls. No, and you've I, got a prime spot. I do. 
I do right on the corner. And I like the concept that they allowed me to build it out with a counter for me growing up. A lot of our lifelong conversations or life decision conversations were made at a kitchen table over a piece of cake or a piece of pie. And so the ability to have that counter and have an open kitchen, because I remember sitting and talking to my mom, she would be making something and I'm at the kitchen table and I'm eating or licking a spoon and you have that connection. And I wanted that connection in the kitchen. And we have that at Lucy Pearls. Our, we don't have a backup house. You see everything that's going on with your cake. So, um, and it allows you to, uh, to talk to us. So we interact with the customer from the minute that they walk to the, the display case, to making their purchase, to where we slice it. They can sit down and eat and watch us slice other cakes. So it gives you that nurturing feeling that I think a lot of restaurants kind of lose. You have the back of house and there's things going on. But where we are and how we have it situated is like you're at Aunt Lucy's house eating a piece of cake. No, I, I, I think that's so smart. And, and I think that's part of the appeal. What are your typical interactions with customers like? Like, what do they what do they ask you about? What do they want to know? So uh, most people want to know who owns it. Do we bake the cakes there? How long have we been in business? Um, a, a curveball question uh, uh, that kind of surprised me was. Uh, how often do we go back to the farmer's markets? And I had to say that we hadn't been because we've just been so overwhelmed at, at the post. Uh, but the, the general question is, you know, just get to know your baker. And it's interesting to see that. And we're small enough to where I can give my cell number out and say, if you think of something or if you want something special, like we've introduced the keto line and we've introduced the vegan line and it's all been driven by customer request. And so they literally call and say, hey, I would like a keto cheesecake on Friday. Can we pick it up? Absolutely. I love the fact that they know who their baker is and they know uh, who's baking their goods and they know the staff and we know them on first name. You were the first person that we had interacted but I didn't realize who you were until a customer said, you know who that guy is? That's, that's Eric. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I said, well, I know his name is Eric. We, we've talked. He's been here a few times. You know, he eats the atomic. He's, you know, he's made his way through. She goes, no, he's like the foodie guy. He's the guy you need to know. And it's like, oh, okay. He's, Eric just comes by and says hi. But yeah, I, that, I've had that, that same interaction. I've, I've had that happen more and more to me where uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll be sitting somewhere and, and, a server will come over and be like, that customer over there told us uh, what you do for a living. And, and most of the time they already know, right? Because they follow me on Instagram or they, they read the articles or something. But, but yes, I've, I'm very amused when that happens. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that it happened with you. But it took you. like four visits. It took you like four times coming in before I realized well, I, who you I, were. I, sometimes, I, sometimes I just want to get a slice of cake and go home. You know, like yeah. I always want to stay and chat. Um, no, but it was good. It was good. And, you know, and, that, and, and I use that or I say that to say the interaction that you and I had wasn't superficial, wasn't because of the position that you have and who you work for and what you do. It is that genuine love for just people. You know, um, we're in a unique position as business owners. One, we're retired. So we actually go to have fun and we've built our culture with our staff to have fun with the customers. There should never be a disgruntled employee or disgruntled uh, customer. We're selling happy. We sell cake. If you're having a bad day, eat a piece of cake. If you're having a good day, celebrate it with a piece of cake. And, and that's been really good for us. It's been great. Right. No, no. I, right. I affirm that you, yeah, you weren't, you weren't 
like giving me a, a patter just because you were trying to get some attention or whatever. I, I, it's like genuine hospitality. You're, you're legitimately happy to see everyone who wants to buy cake from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, so just maybe talk a little bit more about the menu, kind of what are the signature items and, and what are you surprised by? What are, what are people, what are people ordering that, that you didn't expect? I, first question is we've got five signature items. The first one is the banana pudding cake that was developed by me. Um, I like bananas, but I don't like the texture of pudding. So I was like, Oh, I'll figure out how to make it a cake. So we figured out how to make it a cake. The second one is uh, the atomic. I grew up on the South side of Chicago. We lived in Milwaukee, but we spent a lot of time in Chicago and there was a baker that did the atomic as a kid. And when you got an atomic cake as a kid, that was a big deal. Cause when I was growing up, your parents always baked your cake. So when you got to get a cake purchased, we always wanted an atomic and he did different things. He um, did different fruits. And so we've nailed it down to uh, the banana, fresh bananas, a yellow cake, fresh strawberries, a chocolate cake. We do a Belgian cream, which is a real light, fluffy cream. And then we drip it with chocolate ganache. That is by far uh, the most surprising popular cake on our menu. I knew that I would have a couple of followings, but I didn't think I would do, be doing a hundred cakes a week. That, that, wow. that didn't, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that we would be selling uh, close to a thousand slices of atomic a week. It yeah, just amazes me. Bonkers. <laughs> I know. No, I, I never would have guessed. Never would have guessed. Uh, but it's not our number one seller. Our number one seller is the banana pudding. Um, another signature is our lemon poppy. It has a, a raspberry and lemon curd, and we still do a, a soft Belgian cream on the outside, and we do a lemon uh, filling on the top. And then the Sherry strawberry. Everybody makes strawberry, but I named it after my mom. Uh, my mom was Sherry Lucille, and my mom always tried to cook with fresh fruit. So the ability to put more strawberry in there than the regular menu or the regular uh, recipe required we were game on. So you can smell the strawberries before you even take a bite. I mean, it's just awesome. Um, and then Brooklyn blackout, um, started off as just a chocolate fudge cake. We played around with it, added more fudge threw some black cocoa in there and anything that I can get away with putting chocolate on, I'm dripping it. It's going to get some kind of drip of chocolate. I'm, I'm there. I mean, we're the only planet with chocolate, so why not take advantage? So th those items um, became very popular. And then the Betty Lou, which is near and dear to my heart. My, my grandmother's sister, her name was Betty Lois. She baked this cake once a year and, uh, we would fight. If you didn't show up to dinner at one o'clock, that cake was gone. I mean, it was like you ate two pieces and you were only supposed to get one kind of conversation. So to bring that recipe to life and to know that that was a big staple of big celebrations in my family is huge. And we do a lot of those cakes as well. I mean, we're doing you know, 25 to 30 of those cakes whole, which really kind of surprises me. I was expecting to see more of the banana go whole, but during the holiday season, Betty Lou, but again, it was a Christmas cake that my aunt made. So powerful. Right. So that makes, that makes total sense. And, and yeah. just to, you, you kind of alluded to this, but just to be explicit, you do all the baking there. Yes, we do. We do 90% of the baking there. That is correct. Okay. And then I guess maybe just talk about kind of the non-cake options. I, I know that there's cookies. Um, you mentioned pie. I don't, I don't think I've ever had pie from you. Okay. So you got to try some pie. 
Yeah, clearly I do. Okay, so our cookie line is the basics. You got chocolate chip, you've got peanut butter, you've got oatmeal raisin, but we also have a vegan of those same options. So an alternative to uh, butter and eggs, we offer non-animal product products now. So we have the cookies and then we also have vegan cake. So we offer vegan in the granny, which is a yellow cake and chocolate frosting and strawberry. And then the banana, we offer those in the vegan and we've offered the gluten-free on the blackout. I've only had one order for that and it turned out great. So I think that's going to come online pretty soon, but we also do macarons. Um, and we also do uh, bars. So we do a lemon bar, we do brownies and we do pecan bars. And then our pies, I mean, we're about to change out our pies again. Uh, and it's just based on uh, consumer demand. Uh, we have the staples, which is the apple and the cherry. We do sweet potato pie all year versus just during the holidays. Uh, we have a key lime pie and we have cheesecake and we've introduced red velvet cheesecake turtle cheesecake and Oreo cheesecake in the last six weeks. During the Easter Passover season, we brought the cream pies. We've got coconut cream pie, chocolate cream pie, and banana cream pie. Those will go away for the summer. The, the, the demand has kind of wind down. And so we're going to bring what I call the auntie, which is a caramel cake. Everybody keeps asking me for a caramel, pecan, or um some type of caramel and candy cake. So that's been in R&D for the last couple of weeks. And I think I've figured out how to build a cake and it's pretty and then do mass production with it. That's the other piece of it. It's not like it's a specialty house where we can do one or two off. When a product takes, we've got to be ready to scale up and do a hundred cakes a week, just like the Atomic. Right. Uh, uh, you know, not that you, not that you need my advice, but, uh, you know, fruit pies in the summer are always so great, right? And the farmer's yes. markets are full of peaches and blackberries and blueberries, at least for a little bit longer. So, right. You know. And so that we're going to get over to that and some okay. cobblers because we've had people ask for cobblers and I'll make them and they've been special order. But I think to offer them on a daily basis on the menu. And that's where I said the, the menu is going to flip a little bit and we're going to bring some more of the fruit. Um, I even had somebody ask for a rhubarb pie and I haven't made a rhubarb pie in a long time. <laughs> Yeah. So, so maybe just talk a little bit about that process. It's like you said, you've introduced keto, you've introduced vegan, you're, you're not a trained chef. So what's it like for you to kind of develop these new offerings in, in, in response to customer requests? So I keep a, I keep a list. Uh, I've got about 300 items on the list and I use old school tick marks. Somebody asked about it. I put a tick mark and then, you know, you just kind of bubble the ones that people are requesting kind of to the top. I go out and see, um, uh, if there's any recipes that are modern, I, my mother's good, my mother had a book that's called The Good Housekeeping uh, of All Times Recipe 1971. It's like 300 pages. So that's the, the, the standard Southern traditional recipes on cakes are pretty much in this book. If you kind of get off the beaten path a little bit, you'll have to kind of go out. So I, I, I've researched the recipe. I'll bake it at home. I use my kids as a guinea pig. I use friends and family uh, as guinea pigs and say, you know, what's good, what, what's not good. And before we would give them out as samples at the farmer's market, like when we went, before we started at the post, I baked what my menu was going to be. And we went to Eleanor's farmer's market two weeks before grand opening at the post. And we gave the cake away 
for feedback. And so we had 30 different flavors of cakes and we nailed it down to 13 based on consumer feedback right then and there. The farmer's market is immediate feedback. They either like it or they don't. So it's a, it's a good base mark. So I use the farmer's market kind of venue to get feedback, friends and family. Uh, it's been great also in the store where we'll give out samples, especially on Saturdays and Sundays when the population is really high and I can get a good pool of feedback. And we'll say, hey, we're bringing, thinking about bringing this product online. Give us some feedback. And that's where we go with it. So let me just, let me just sort of move, move in that direction. I mean, you're, you're, you're at this market. You have all these other uh, restaurants around. I mean, are you, are you making connections with some of these other chefs and restaurateurs? Are you, are you thinking about, oh, you know, I've got a great idea uh, for something that would be like a nice after dinner option? you know, after jollof rice or after oysters or fried seafood? I mean, are, are you starting to make those connections with some of the other vendors? A little bit. Uh, I think we're all still trying to figure out what the volume and what the clientele is going to be in the post. Um, if you look at our menus today versus the menu back in November, there's been a 50% change in menus. So we're still trying to figure that part out. Um, I've had some soft conversation on doing the breads for like Leah Jane, um, but nothing concrete. Okay. How, how would you like to see yourself grow? I mean, it's been, it's been what, about six months, maybe a little bit longer. How would you like to see yourself grow as you, as you kind of get towards that one year mark? Well, definitely uh, get the name recognition out there. Be a, a, a household name would be the first thing. And I think that, um, our next step would be a standalone location outside of the post. You know, that's probably 12 to 18 months out. Uh, but being known for the, the, the one-off desserts that, you know, you used to have at your aunt Lucy's or you used to have at your aunt Betty's that no one makes anymore, or they make it and it tastes horrible. You know, that's the other thing you can get, you can get sweet potato pie at Walmart, but it ain't tasting like aunt Lucy's. <laughs> right. So, you know, I still want to be able to have the product that brings back that nostalgic filling and, and, and that, that taste and, and know that they're getting good ingredients. You know, we use the real, the real stuff. We use real butter. We, we don't skimp on, on the real stuff. So I want people to know us for that. And I want to be able to venture off and be an exclusive on the menu. You know, we've talked through some different concepts of even opening like a, a dessert bar or a dessert poetry, you know, some different things that will get people to eat dessert more, if that makes any sense. But we're still playing around with it. And then the Houston Rodeo is, has knocked on the door. Huh, but I, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm almost intimidated by that. Right. You know, they're uh, right. I mean, two, if you think, if you, think you got to bake a lot of cake. If you think you got to bake a lot of cake for a Saturday at the post, you ain't, you ain't seen nothing until, yeah. you know, a hundred thousand people are packed on the NRG looking for, looking for dessert. That isn't right. funnel cake. Right. Looking for a piece of atomic. Hey, wait a minute. What do you mean? Yeah, you're out? that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I have to have blackout cake. I came, right. I came all this way just for the, just for the atomic. Yeah. So, so, so definitely some growth. I mean, it's just been for us, it's the jump from, the, the farmer's market to post hybrid brick and mortar was a great vantage point for us to see what it really took to run a brick and mortar. And, and I had some 
like I said, working for Dessert Gallery, I had that information under my belt, but it's different when it's yours and it's different when you can develop the culture and it's different when it's, it's your clientele and it's your product. You know, you're, you're an artist in a sense and you get a little sensitive about your work. So you want to make sure that the customers are happy and, and, and that, that you're doing the right thing. So we're still developing. Like I said, I've got people asking for the caramel cake and, and that's been a consistent request. So we're going to bring it. Uh, we're thinking late July, August, and then we'll carry that through the holidays. Um, and then we've had a special request for a cake with cheesecake in the middle. And that seems to be a rave thing on Instagram where they're building these cakes with cheesecake in there. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a place around town that kind of famously does a a cake with a pie stuffed in the middle and all that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. So but I, it's great if you can do that 10 times. But we realized that Lucy Pearls is getting a lot of traction. We got to be able to do it 100 times and it's got to be consistent. The product's got to be consistent and, and look and taste 100 times over. So that's what we're working on. No, absolutely. I- I mean, I mean, I've been there, you know, I, I remember going for, they were doing Lunar New Year with the dragon dance mm-hmm. and you could barely move. I mean, so, you know, drawing people to the post has not been a problem, at least not, not in the beginning. No. And I, and I think that that is, it's still growing, but like I said, I want people to come to the post. My personal wish is I want people to come to the post looking for Lucy. And they happen upon the post, not they come to the post and they happen upon Lucy. I want them coming and looking for Lucy. Hey, we saw, we heard, we tasted. Um, and then that, that repeat customer, hey, that come in and don't tell me who they are and secretly have conversations with me and leave. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, we're getting, we're venturing off. I've hired some artists uh, that like, to decorate cakes and and some of them have two of my girls have culinary background they've gone and they've got their their degrees but i've got two girls who who don't and they're artists and they have made the most beautiful cake so i can teach them the recipe if you follow this recipe and you put a quarter cup of this and a half a cup of this you'll get a good tasting cake but it's hard to find someone who can make a pretty cake or a cake that matches a theme or um, or, or what the, cons- you know, the customer has envisioned. It's a light blue, not a dark blue. So the artists that are on staff now that are starting to decorate the cakes, because we're getting into that custom cake side of it. So you can get a, a, a lemon poppy, but you can get it decorated the way you want to. You can't get that anywhere in the city. You get chocolate, vanilla, maybe strawberry. You might get one other flavor and they don't always taste good, but they're pretty. Lucy pearls right. are going to be tasting good. And they're pretty. Right. They have to be both. You know, they have to be both. Right. For for a decorated cake, for a a theme cake, it's got to be both. Correct. But I don't think that always happens. No, it doesn't. And that uh, fondant, it's just, you know, it 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 makes cakes look nice, but it doesn't. It's not good to eat. Yeah. So I'm I'm anti fondant. Yeah. Oh, really? You're anti fondant. Yeah. Uh, Give me buttercream. Give me buttercream. Yeah. Figure it out. Good deal. And I'm doing your birthday cake next year. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I bought, I bought a cake from another bakery. I guess we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll, you know, maybe I'll have to have more than one birthday cake. We'll figure it out. Well, at least um, do it at the post. Do your birthday party at the post. I mean, that's that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> definitely a possibility. Like a little, a little uh, graze, 
a little progressive dinner through through uh you know ceviche from andes and oysters from gulf Stramen and a yeah. little jollof rice and wrap it up with some cake i i could see it happening good deal good deal all right well nicole i gotta say that brings me to the end of my questions is there something you want to discuss that i haven't asked you about no i think we're good but uh, I, I, re- I, I respectfully, respectfully request that I get a do-over if I come up with something later on. Reach <laughs> yeah, out well, and say, hey. Well, when you've I'd got a second, when show. you when you sign for that brick and mortar, come come talk to me. We'll figure come it out. Come talk to you. So what's uh, your favorite cake that you've had? Of yours? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I mean, I'm a sucker for like a, you know, like a, a really classic like coconut, you know, a coconut cake. So, you know, I lean towards... Um, I lean towards the Betty Lou just cause it's got, it's got kind of the flavors that I, that I'm really looking for. And then a diner cake. I mean, you know, the granny's is so good. And, and obviously the atomic was just a ton of fun with the, all those different layers and flavors. So I, I don't know that I could pick a favorite, but I am impressed with how like consistently delicious they are like across different flavors and buying them at different times. So you're, you're on the right track for sure. In my opinion. Well, thank you. Thank you. Any words of advice for me being a new kid in the business three years in and, you know, I think just keep plugging away, just keep making really delicious food and be mindful of your ingredients and treating people like they're your friends. I think that's all served you really well. Good deal. Good deal. Well, thank you so much. I've really appreciated it. And I'm glad we finally connected. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Nicole Morris, what is your favorite ingredient? Sugar, chocolate. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Pink Floyd. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Fried chicken. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I don't have one for Houston. I'm a Green Bay girl. All right. Well, who's your favorite Packer of all time? That's uh, <laughs> bad. I just went blank. Um, the quarterback. Um, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Brett, Bart- Brett Favre. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. And then finally, when you go to a pizza restaurant, mm-hmm. what are your go-to toppings? Pepperoni and sausage, onions, black olives. All right. Give us Goat the cheese. Ooh, okay. A little tang. I like it. Mm-hmm, I like a little tang. Give us the website and the social media for Lucy Pearls. All right. So Lucy Pearls, www.lucypearls with the S on the end.com. Lucypearls.com. Social media is Lucy Pearl Sweets, both on Instagram and on Facebook. Nicole, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.